Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. And I want us to look at this famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5, and it's called the Beatitudes. Amen? And so I want us to look at this. In Scripture, they're called the Beatitudes. And we think about this term Beatitudes. You know why they're called Beatitudes without being prestigious? Think about this. Because they should be the attitude of every believer. Okay? So the Beatitudes, they should be the attitude of every believer. Because this, what we're about to read, is the normal Christian life, not the ab normal Christian life. Amen? And so the normal Christian life is holiness. Can somebody say amen tonight? The normal Christian life is holiness. How many of you know that we need holiness in our lives? Amen? How many of you know that we cannot attain holiness on our own? Holiness is, is the product of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? And in Him being Lord over your life, you're able to receive the holiness that He offers through the life that he lived. Amen. And so that word beatitude, if I can break this down for you, it means blessedness. It means blessed are. It's a description for those belonging to the kingdom of heaven. It is a description of those belonging to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Right now, as DJ was leading worship, you know, he said, hey, we're all children of God. Amen. And I pray that you are a child of God in this place tonight. Amen. And you're a child of God, that means that these are the attributes and the actions and the characteristics of kingdom people, of which you and I are. Amen. We are, we are now in the kingdom of God. We are now saved. We are, have received salvation through Jesus Christ. And now these are the things that Jesus describes as the description of those belonging to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so the Bible teaches us many, many truths, but... We'll find out in a second in this chapter in Matthew 5 that this was the sermon that Jesus preached. Amen? Jesus taught a lot of things. Amen? He shared, you know, parables and stories. And, and Jesus, you know, you know, would teach the Pharisees. And he was always teaching. Amen? But Jesus chose. This was the first kind of public message. This was, you know, right after Matthew 4, we find out that Jesus was in, in the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted, right? He comes out of temptation and the scripture says that he went everywhere. And this is all Matthew 4. He went everywhere healing, blessing, delivering, and people were set free. And so as Jesus was out and he was, began his public ministry, and people are getting healed, all of a sudden when there's massive amounts of healing and there's massive amounts of people getting delivered, all of a sudden Jesus began to draw a crowd. Amen? And so this is where we catch up in Matthew chapter 5. There's now crowds of people around Jesus. There's crowds of people that are following him. There's crowds of people that are saying, who is this guy? I want to know who this man is. And so this was the only sermon that Jesus ever preached. He only needed one. Amen? Because in it is so, it's so deep, it's so powerful. And so this was the only sermon that he ever gave. And it was given to be a guide by anyone that desired to be a true disciple of him. How many of you know that we are not called to just simply follow Jesus? We are called to be disciples of Jesus. Amen? Right now, that song that we were singing, it, it was talking about, you know, I want to sit at your feet. That is the biblical definition of a disciple, to sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught. Amen? That's a pretty humble posture, right? If you are willing to sit in front of somebody and listen, how many of you remember kindergarten? All right, go back to kindergarten just for a second. And you remember the teacher sometimes would sit all the little kids in the class and the teacher would sit down and read you a story and all the little kids would listen, right? And that is that posture, that childlike faith posture that Jesus is wanting anyone who says yes to him to become. We become just like a child. What are children? Children are the most teachable beings on the planet. Amen? But how many of you have heard, you know, when we get older, it's like they say that you can't teach an old dog a new trick, right? 
Because it seems as though the older we get, the less teachable that we become. And this is not how Jesus wants us to be. He always wants us to be in that childlike state, sitting at his feet. Amen? And so I want us to read this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We'll start there. It says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen? So I want us to pray for the word tonight. Amen. You bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word. We ask right now, Lord, that your word would just speak powerfully to every listening ear, God, every heart, Father, every person present, every person watching online. Holy Spirit, speak to us in a mighty, mighty way, Lord. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all of the people said, amen. And so as we begin to study, I believe the greatest, you know, kind of portion of scripture that, that Jesus, you know, uttered, the greatest sermon ever written, I cannot help but understand and notice the contrast. Because if we read those verses again, and we will in a minute, if we read those verses again, I cannot help but see this distinguishing contrast between what Jesus said a disciple looks like and what the church is today. There is a vast difference when we are reading these scriptures and we are seeing the characteristics and the attributes of what he has called us to be and the way that he has called us to live and what the church actually looks like on a daily basis. Amen? The difference between a disciple and just being a body part. The difference between being a, you know, a part of the body of Christ and, 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 and just you know, simply saying, oh, well, I love Jesus and I go to church. That's not what Jesus has asked us to do. That's not the substance from which we become a disciple by simply attending a service like this. A disciple is so much deeper, is so much greater. It has so much more of a desire to know Jesus and become like Jesus. Amen? We are all parts of the body of Christ. Amen? Can somebody say amen tonight? But if we are associating ourselves with Jesus and we are allowing ourselves to be called part of the body of Christ, then we better look like the head of the body. Amen? We better reflect the head of who this whole thing is about, which is Jesus. Our life, our choices, our words, our actions, our coming, our going, everything that we do, everything that is about our life. When somebody that does not know you looks at your life, they should be able to see Jesus. Could somebody say amen tonight? That's what being a disciple looks like. That's what being a disciple is, because if we don't look like him, then we offer the world a disfigured image of who Jesus is. All of a sudden, people say, well, I don't want your religion, because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I don't want your, your church. I don't want to be a part of things like that, because all they do is just talk about you, and they judge you, and they do all these kinds of things, and they think that that's who Jesus is. Can I testify and tell you that I've, I've ministered to countless amounts of people and, and some people that I've never even met face to face. Sometimes it's just through, you know, you know, word of mouth, you know, friends will get me in contact with a long lost uncle or cousin or somebody. Or sometimes it's through social media. Somebody will reach out to me because they know that I'm a pastor. And, and all the time they have the same, the same question. 
They said, you know, I want Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of the church. They have a hunger because they've actually opened the word for themselves to see who this Jesus is and see how he has revealed his life to them, but they don't want to be part of the church. How is that that the body is different than the head? How is it that the body is so disfigured and it doesn't live or talk or walk or live like Jesus? If we want to be people that represent him well, and how many of you want to represent him well? If we want to be a church that's known to be less like Rock of Ages and more like Jesus, then we have to become a disciple. We have to be people that are willing to go to every last page of this book and take it in and receive it as our own. Amen. The gospel of the kingdom, David Willard said this, the gospel of the kingdom is that no one is beyond beatitude because the rule of God from the heavens is available to all. Everyone can reach it and it can reach everyone. It says, but we respond appropriately to the beatitudes of Jesus by living as if this were so, as it concerns others and as it concerns ourselves. You see, this is exactly what it means to be a disciple, to receive him and live in the manner that he desires that we live. But there's so many so-called Christians and so-called believers that have turned churches into a den of thieves. You see, when Jesus went into the, to the temple and he had to overturn the tables, I, I, I pray that he would never have to do that again. But dare I say that the churches that are in our world, in our society today, rarely look like Jesus. Rarely look like Jesus. They are a place of gathering rather than a house of prayer. They've become social groups versus actually being the body of Christ. Ministers have turned into celebrities and members have turned inwardly focused. Inwardly focused, what does that look like? That is, is, is a, everything is about you, the gospel is about you, the word is about you, the, the word is about your issues and your problems in your life. Unless, guess what? Jesus is concerned about your life. Amen? He's concerned about your life. In fact, he died so that you could have healing and forgiveness and be blessed and prospered in everything that you do. But he's more concerned about his plan in the world. He is more concerned about his, his rule and his reign and his kingdom in this earth. And so much of this is either because we haven't been or we refuse to become a disciple. And so I pray that tonight this is your prayer. You say, Pastor Duke, I don't want to be me. I want to be taught by him. I want to learn from him. I want to reflect him in everything that I do. In the church, these things are a frequent problem. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus, he said to his who? Everybody say it again. He said to his who? His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why? Because they're just church members. They're just people that attend for the sake of attending because they think they're going to just glean something from Jesus or from the Holy Spirit. And they're not actually fulfilling the work that he's called them to do. If the church was living out the will of God, then the workers wouldn't be few. Amen. Amen. If the church was living out the will of God, actively being disciples and doing everything that he's commanded us to do, the workers wouldn't be few because there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people, a lot of hands, but few disciples. Amen. If those who proclaim to be Christ followers would be disciples, then we would see it turn from lip service into serving God. Kingdom purpose and function is far more than what it takes to make a service run. I thank God for people that serve in every area of our ministries. Like I really do. I'm, I'm thankful for the usher. I'm thankful for the greeter. I'm thankful for the prayer team and, and, and worship teams and teachers and preachers and everything that we do within the context of a service. I'm thankful for sound people and light people and tech people and all these things. But what about kingdom ministry? 
What about kingdom ministry? You see, these are just parts of a service. Kingdom ministry is representing the king in the world. Everywhere you go. Not just for a a few hours in a service when we join together. Jesus didn't say, blessed are you who sits in the pew going boo-hoo for you know who. (laughs) He didn't say, blessed are those who gather every week to do stuff inside of a building for his glory. He didn't say, blessed are those who attend for the kingdom will count them part of heaven. He didn't say those things. Amen. He didn't mention any of those things to us. And so I have to ask you this question tonight. Who wants to be part of the plan of God? Amen. Who wants to be part of God's plan? Then we need to start fresh by saying this. We need a kingdom mindset and not our own. We need a kingdom mindset and not our own. My own mindset is, is, is selfish, right? Our own mindsets are selfish. Our own ways are, are always putting us first and putting us before the king. That is, we, we want and desire things for our own life. Listen, when you become a disciple, it flips around. Everything now becomes concerning to what the king wants. Amen? Everything about your life and everything about your heart turns to saying, Lord, I want to be a part of what you are doing. And so in those verses that we just read, we see the heart of God that is displayed. We'll look at that verse one more time, Matthew 5, verse 1. Let's read this again really quick. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. We see something that Jesus does here in this passage of Scripture, and it tells us, church, that when he saw, how many of you are thankful that Jesus sees you? Amen? At least we should be. Amen? We should always be grateful that he's able to see us. But in this, in, this, in this part that we see that Jesus has compassion on the multitudes. He sees their weariness. He sees the things that they are going through. And we have to understand something. The Sermon on the Mount was given to disciples and not the multitudes. Read it. Jesus saw he went up on the mountainside and his disciples gathered around him. The masses were out there. The masses were per se within reach. But this whole thing was given to his disciples. Seeing the multitudes, that scripture was talking about the compassion and and the, the heart of Jesus to see that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He knew their their plight. He knew their needs. He knew all the things that they were dealing with. And he knew also this, that he could not reach them on his own. He knew that this kingdom mission was impossible for him alone. And we have to understand something, church. You are not designed by God to do kingdom life on your own. Can somebody say amen tonight? You are not designed to just function on your own and just be this lone ranger in the kingdom. That doesn't exist. Jesus didn't set it up that way. And so we see here he understands that he knows that he needs 12 guys to sit at his feet. He needs 12 guys that he can pour his life into, 12 people that he can absolutely train and teach and show and reveal the kingdom to so that they can begin to do ministry to reach the multitudes. Amen. And so you and I, sometimes we look at the world and we say, how? How are we going to reach all these people? How are we going to, to, you know, I'm just one person. I just, you know, talk to my coworker that sits next to me at work. Or I just, you know, talk to the people, the next door neighbor. You know, how are we going to reach all of these people? And there's sometimes that when we have that thought, we actually get discouraged. Because we say, how is it that we're going to accomplish this huge work on our own? And so oftentimes people do nothing Because they're not amongst disciples, they're just amongst a multitude. At the end of the day, nothing gets done because they're just amongst the multitude. And so this simple verse gives us two truths that I want us to really hone in on tonight. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, just write down the word compassion. I believe that godly compassion is you and I looking through God's eyes and looking through the way that the Lord sees the world that's lost and without a relationship with Jesus that's hopeless and without true hope. 
And we look at this world with an unbiased and non-judgmental attitude so that we can offer Christ in compassion to all people. Amen? That we would offer Christ in compassion to our families, to those we have relationships with, to those people that we come in contact with so that the world can find and receive forgiveness of sin. Amen? So that they can find and receive healing, deliverance, freedom from addiction, salvation, blessing, and prosperity. Amen? And so when we're seeing the multitudes, we need to keep our eyes open so people and their needs can be seen. Sometimes we're quick to just walk through life and walk right past people. You're walking right past people every single day and your spiritual eyes are not open to the need that they might have. Imagine if Jesus was just like walking through here just ignoring everybody. (laughs) And you're going like, hey, you know, you're trying to get his attention. You're trying to wave him down and... Jesus, you know, my, my, my back hurts. I need healing. And, and Jesus is just like walking right past you. That's what happens when the church is not a disciple. That's what happens when the church's spiritual eyes are blinded. And they don't look at the world the way that Jesus looks at the world. That verse in Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He was moved with compassion. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7 says this, I will acknowledge the Lord's acts of mercy and sing the praises of the Lord because of everything the Lord has done for us. He's done many good things for the nation of Israel because of his compassion and his unlimited mercy. It says, he said that they are my people, children who would not lie to me, so he became their savior In all their troubles, he was troubled, and he was the messenger who saved them. And in his love and his compassion, he reclaimed them. He always held them, and he carried them in the past. You see, this is the heart of God for the world, amen? His heart cares for your needs. His heart cares for your hurts, your pains, your frustrations, your desires and plans. And this is why your heart needs to be like his. This is why our hearts need to beat just like his does so that we can offer that same compassionate love to a world that's in greater need than ourselves. Jesus gave us two simple commands, didn't he? How many of you remember them? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love what? Your neighbor as yourself. It's a simple command, right? It's a simple thing that he has offered us, that he's asked us to do. And so we see here, church, that in order for us to reach a world, we have to have the heart of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, but yet was without sin. We have a high priest who feels with us. Amen? We have a high priest that knows and experiences that that the word touched means to sympathize, feel, and to suffer with. It means to sympathize and feel with a person to the point that the hurt and the pain are actually felt within one's own heart. How many of you have ever prayed for somebody? Amen? And, And in your time of prayer, your heart was feeling what they were feeling. You knew that they were in just deep anguish. You know, maybe it was the loss of a, a, of a loved one or maybe it was just this horrible report that they received and you could maybe see the fear or the pain or the worry in their life. And all of a sudden, when you began to pray, your heart went to that place that theirs was at. You were, you were moved with compassion because you saw the great depth of their need. And this is the way the Lord is with us. Amen. He, he's always moved by the things that move us. The things that hurt you. The things that traumatize your life. He, he moves in such a way. But guess what? For those of us now that we are in the kingdom. This is our representation of Jesus to the world. Is when you see somebody hurting. You're moved with compassion. You sympathize with their weakness. Something I often do, it's kind of crazy. My wife, I think, gets mad at me from time to time. But 
Oh, well. When I was younger, I had uh, all kinds of, you know, suspect vehicles. And Carlos is here tonight. Hey, Carlos, how are you doing? This is my mom's husband. I remember I had this vehicle. It was a 1979 International Scout. And when I first got it, Pastor actually bought it for me for $300 in San Antonio. It was a um, chunk of metal, to say the least. It was in really bad shape. And I'll never forget when we pulled it into my mom's house, Carlos said that it looked like a terrorist vehicle. <laughs> and I'll never forget it because it was in really bad shape. And that vehicle was, was rough. You know, I, I got stranded on the side of the road I don't know how many times. I smelled like gas, I think, when I came to church. You know, it, it leaked oil. It, you, know, it, you know, it was just, it was, a, it was a challenging vehicle to say the least. And I got stranded so many times on the side of the road in that thing. And there was a lot of times that absolutely nobody helped me. Ever been in that situation, anybody? And I remember that, that as the Lord, you know, began to bless my life and, you know, I got a new vehicle and I got, you know, nicer cars and I was able to get, you know, vehicles that were more reliable. Every time I see somebody on the side of the road, my wife can testify to this. I throw it in park and I jump out. <laughs> and I don't care if I'm on my way to church. I don't care if I'm on my way to dinner or a birthday party or whatever. I will get out and I will help that person get their car to the side of the road and get them well. Because I can relate to what that person is feeling in that moment. The embarrassment, maybe the shame, the worry, the frustration. Cars honking behind you and you don't know what to do. You can't turn on your car. It doesn't want to work. I can relate to that. And because I can relate to that, I can do something about it. Amen? This is being moved with compassion. That you moved and are moved in such a way that you do something about the situation at hand. Christ actually suffers when we suffer. He knows and he suffers right alongside of us when you are sick. When you suffer trial, when you face temptation, when you fall into sin, when you feel lonely, when you suffer persecution, when you lack money, when you face death. And name the trial or the pain of the situation. It does not matter. Name any human experience and Jesus will sympathize with you. Can you thank the Lord for that? Amen. He will sympathize with your life and he will suffer and hurt right alongside of you. And so church, we can ask for no greater of a savior. Amen. He is perfect in every single one of his ways. We can ask for no greater of an intercessor in our life. And so listen, Jesus is that great high priest. And he's waiting for his children to walk this thing out in such a way that we represent him well, that we represent him so well, church. J.C. Watts said, compassion can't be measured in dollars and in cents. It does not come with a price tag, but the price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. You see, Jesus said to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the price tag that you are to operate in every single day of your life. That when your flesh says you don't want to do something for somebody, you remember his love for you. You remember the unconditional love that he has poured out in your life without measure, church. And all of a sudden we have the ability to love somebody else into the kingdom the way that Jesus loves you and I. Amen. He cares for you, and I'm thankful for the love of God and the compassion of God in my life. And this is why we serve him. This is why we love him, and this is why we follow him. This is why we share his love with others. Deuteronomy 7 and 7 says this. I'm reading out of the message translation, but it says this. God wasn't attracted to you, and he didn't choose you because you were big and important. The fact is there was almost nothing to you. He did it out of sheer love, keeping the promise he made to your ancestors. It says God stepped in and mightily bought you back out of the world of slavery and he freed you from the iron grip of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
It says, know this, God, your God is God indeed and a God that you can depend on. And he keeps his covenant of loyal love with those who love him and observe his commandments for a thousand generations. How many of you are thankful for the love of Jesus? Amen. Song of Songs, chapter 8 and verse 7. Also from the message, it says, floodwaters cannot drown his love. Torrents of rain cannot put it out. Love cannot be bought and love cannot be sold and it's not found in the marketplace. We need to start being real in the love that we show to others. Amen. We need to start being real to the love that we show to others because Jesus didn't love people that would all love him back. Jesus didn't die for people that would all worship him and, and, and love him back. He died for everybody. He loved everybody. And we cannot pick or choose who we want to give the love of God and offer the love of God to. We need to offer the love of God to everyone. Amen? Regardless of political affiliations, regardless of backgrounds and beliefs, regardless of status and, and jobs and all those things, we need to love him the way that he loves us and love his people the same. The second thing that we see Tonight, the second truth for reaching the multitudes is this. It is discipleship. It is being a person that will sit at the feet of Jesus to be taught. Let's read Matthew 5 and 1 again. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He went up on the mountainside and they followed him there and they sat down at his feet. Are you willing to follow Jesus up the mountain? Are you willing to follow Jesus to the places where he can teach your life? If Jesus says, hey, tonight we're going to talk about money, are you willing to follow him there? Tonight we're going to talk about soul winning. Are you willing to sit at his feet to learn how to be a soul winner? Tonight we're going to talk about repentance. You see, sometimes we only want to sit down when the message is pleasing to our hearts. Sometimes we only want to sit down when we know that it's going to be a message that makes us feel good. One that makes us feel good about ourselves and feel all happy. Jesus sat down his disciples on that hill on that day. He sat them down to show them the way that he looked at the world. Jesus himself realized that one person could not accomplish this great task alone. And so others had to be taught to help in this great commission. And so the Lord's conception of discipleship is not that we work for God, but that God works through us. Amen. This is his concept of discipleship. It's not that we what? It's not that we work for God, but that God works through us. Matthew 28 and verse 19 says this. Therefore, go and make disciples. We'll read it one more time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That sounds like a big task, <laughs> right? All nations, Jesus? He's like, yeah, all. Like everyone, not just like Mexico and Canada, you know, like we don't have to go that far. We don't need to travel that far. He said all nations. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Second Timothy 2 and 2 says this. It says, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, preaching and teaching are not alone to be done in a church. Amen? Preaching and teaching alone are not to be only done in a church, but they are to be done wherever people are found. Amen? Jesus was on a mountainside. He wasn't in a temple. So if there was people there, there was an opportunity to preach and to teach. Amen? If people are found by mountains, by the seashore, in a home, on the street, any and every place, Jesus made the kingdom available. One of the reasons the church doesn't multiply is because we try to make the multitudes come inside here. And we forget that we can actually take the kingdom 
to the multitudes. Amen? You can take the kingdom of God wherever you go. And so although crowds are important, it was a small group of disciples, a small band of disciples that was and is critical to accomplish this great commission. The mission of the Lord is reaching people, but the method of the Lord is to make disciples. The mission of the Lord is always to reach people. Amen? But the method of the Lord is to make disciples. It's giving an intensive training to a small group so that they can uh, help in ministry to the multitudes. During the U.S. Civil War, if you remember in your history books, Abraham Lincoln, he met with a group of ministers. And he met with this group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. And, and Lincoln was not a churchgoer, but he was a man of deep, if at times, you know, unorthodox faith. And so at one point, one of the ministers said this. They said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And Lincoln's response showed far greater wisdom and insight. He said, no, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. Let us pray that we are on God's side. And on that day, I believe that the president reminded those ministers that religion is not a tool by which we get God to do what we want, but an invitation to open ourselves to being and doing what God wants. Amen? This is exactly what the Lord is looking for from his disciples. And so what is my point in this? We need to become teachable people. Amen? We need to become teachable people to follow closely the instructions of God. The unteachable, they want God on their side, but they're unwilling to place themselves on the potter's wheel. You see, there's people that sometimes we struggle in our flesh and we say, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to become this way. I, I'm not cut out for that. We find all kinds of reasons and logic and excuses in our life where we say, you know what, I, you know, the, the Great Commission, all that stuff that Jesus was talking about, that's for the pastor. That's for the preacher. That's for this and that. No, no, no. It is for everyone that says yes to Jesus. Amen. It excludes nobody. Or guess what? You're not fit for the kingdom. You cannot inherit a kingdom of which you will not allow yourselves to be lorded over in. There's not going to be people in heaven that did absolutely nothing. There's not going to be, you know, all these people that, you know, you're, you, you know we, we did nothing for God, but yeah, I'm standing next to, to Paul who was sent to prison like timeless amounts. Oh, but I'm next to Peter who was crucified upside down. Big difference. Big difference. We cannot expect to inherit this kingdom for eternity if we don't look like Jesus. If we don't live like Jesus, and if we don't do what Jesus has commanded us to do. This is not my teaching. It's not my supposition. It's not my opinion. It is the word of God. And if he is truly Lord of our life, we have to follow his commands. Can somebody say amen tonight? In the last days in which I believe we are living, you need to become somebody that says, form me, teach me, train me, shape me. Give me your wisdom, Lord. Give me your heart. Give me your desire, Lord. Give me your zeal. Because Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. I'll say that one more time. Christianity... Without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Salvation is free, but the discipleship will cost you your life. Are we counting the cost tonight? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your very life. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, will be blessed in all he does. A disciple is the blessedness of God. The Beatitudes means blessedness and blessed are these people. Blessed are these people. You will be blessed in all that you do when you fulfill the commands of the word of God. These five things are vital to becoming a disciple of Jesus and also helping mold us into new disciples and, and mold new disciples rather. I want to look at them quickly again. Write them down. Number one, be quick to listen. A teachable person has to listen to learn. Amen? A teachable person has to listen to learn. If you are unwilling to listen, chances are you haven't learned anything. <laughs> Amen? If you're unwilling to listen, chances are you haven't learned anything. Proverbs 8, verse 32 says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors and waiting at my doorway. Whoever, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Amen. The second thing is be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. How many of us that are married understand the value of being slow to speak? Amen. <laughs> I'm the only one apparently. All right. I heard it said once that when a woman asks the question, what did you say? It's not because she didn't hear you. It's because she's given you an opportunity to change your mind. <laughs> Amen. Be slow to speak. Proverbs 10 and verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. The third thing is be slow to become angry. Right? Be slow to become angry. I believe everyone struggles to become angry under a certain situation. Amen? Some people don't get angry very easily. I've, I've seen them like... Santiago, like Santiago's an angel, you know. Santiago doesn't get mad. I've never seen Santiago mad. Like, he, he just doesn't get mad. But in a given circumstance, in a given situation, he might just finally get there. Pastor Thomas, never seen him mad. This man is like the happiest man I've ever met in my life. Answers the phone, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Every day, never seen this man mad ever in my life. Why? Slow to become angry. But listen, we must do and ask what the Lord has told us to do. Because why? It's a reflection of the Father's heart towards us. How many of you know that the Father is not quick to be angry towards us? Amen? The Father is not quick to be angry towards us. He's slow to become angry. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8 says this. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. It says impatience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Number four, get rid of all moral filth. The last time I checked, the body of Christ was supposed to look like him. Amen? I said the last time I checked, the body of Christ was supposed to look like him and supposed to become more like him. But all too often we see the opposite. And so, church, I, I say this and I just appeal this to you tonight. We need to take a stand for righteousness again. Amen? I said we need to take a stand for holiness and righteousness once again. And I'm not just talking about like on a national level or politically or something like that, though we should. I'm talking about in our home. Amen? I'm talking about the things that parents let their children watch. Amen? I'm talking about the music that you listen to. Amen? I'm talking about the movies and the things that you watch and consume on a daily basis. Amen? What does it say? Get rid of all moral filth. It doesn't say I can have a measure of moral filth. 
I can just keep moral filth just all up in my house and all, all in my kids, you know, iPads and, and on the shows that we let them watch. And I don't even know what they watch half the time during the day. Listen, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of it. Paul said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. There are things that will absolutely destroy your life, and guess what? You're paying for it. I'm sorry, but I have to say this. I am not a movie watcher, and there's a huge reason why. Because you are wholeheartedly endorsing everything that you are willing to sit there for two or three hours and watch. Tell me I'm wrong, because I'm not. You will pay endless amounts of money and stand in lines to go watch a movie that has some random whatever in it. And half the time your spiritual eyes aren't even open to the fact to understand that there's spiritual principalities at work. But you sit there like a disciple and watch the whole thing. Want to be a disciple? Then don't let the world disciple you. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Then stop letting the world disciple you. Stop letting what we see on social media disciple us. Because it's training us to become more worldly and less godly. It's training us to become more like the world and the filth that we see all around us. And all of a sudden we wonder why the church doesn't look like Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Get rid of all moral filth. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit. Notice it's natural and supernatural. The body and the spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence. For God, and that number five, accept the word. Not my word, not Pastor Soto's word, the word. Accept the word. I found this quote that sums this point up really well. We must allow the word of God to confront us. Everybody say amen. To disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Amen. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Do you trust the plan of Jesus for your life? Amen. Do you trust the plan of God for your life? Do you truly believe that, that your life is in his hands and if it is in his hands that he will not steer you wrong? Do you believe that? You see, when the disciples said yes to him in, 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 in that previous chapter, in Matthew 4, the Bible says that when he called out to them, at once they dropped their nets and they followed him. At once they made decisions and they said, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing right now. But I'm willing enough to follow this Jesus and to place my life in his hands. And that's ultimately what they did. Because scripture would tell us that after Jesus was crucified and, and after he gave his life for us and after he was resurrected and, and he was you know, ascended back to heaven, that every single one of these men that had sat at his feet on that day, with the exception of Judas, they would all go on to become men that would typify Christ, that would show the world what Jesus looked like. They would preach boldly. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and told a thousands of people, you crucified him. You hung him on the cross and just moments before that, he was the guy that was denying Jesus everywhere he went. We see this massive transformation that happens in their life and all of a sudden we see the disciples are walking through the streets and people are getting healed. 
They're being, you know, chastised and they're being condemned and they're being accused of all these kinds of things. But yet they stayed firm in their beliefs of who Jesus was. And they knew that ultimately their life would end up just the way that his did, that they would give their life for the cause of Christ. Tonight begs the question, are you even willing to give your life? If it meant absolutely everything, that tonight was the very last night that you had breath on this earth and somebody was about to take your life, would you say yes or would you deny him? There becomes a point in our faith, church, where we're no longer just multitude watchers and we're just seeing the things of God from afar, but we actually give ourselves fully to him to say, Lord, I will be your disciple. I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you, Lord. And no matter what it costs, no matter what it leads to, it could lead to your family hating you. It could lead to people just walking out on your life. It could lead to people accusing you. It could lead to people just abandoning you. Are you still willing to follow Jesus? Are you still fully giving your life to him? He will not steer you wrong. Amen? I said he will not steer you wrong. But the Bible says wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path to life and few find it. As I ask you to stand tonight, I want the Lord to use you powerfully. I want us to be kingdom-minded people that are focused on sitting at the feet of Jesus and saying, you are truly Lord of my life. You're truly Lord of everything. I give myself fully to you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.